0: What a sermon this was of our Lord, or still is. He said, Except your righteousness exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall not in any wise enter into the kingdom of God. The most important thing is to seek ye first the kingdom of God and his and His righteousness. And all other things shall be added unto you. It's not seeking everything else. It's seeking him he said four times three or four times he said take no thought take no thought take no anxious thought he's not saying we should not take consideration about certain things that we shouldn't plan for certain things but we don't know what a day may bring forth most not thyself or the morrow, for you know not what a day may bring forth he said, don't be like the world that say we're going to go into such a place and we're going to buy and sell and we're going to get gain. You, you don't know that. Well, he said, we're going to continue a year and we're going to buy and sell and, and get gain. It's like the man, in the context, I think it's in Luke's gospel, before he makes reference to this same text, <clears throat> he speaks of the man who his, his crops did real well that year. And he said, what am I going to do? My barns are already full. What am I going to do with all these crops? What am I going to do with them? He's got this thought running through his mind. I can't just let them lay in 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 the field and rot. What am I going to do? Here's what I'm going to do. I've got a good idea. Here's my thought. I'm going to tear down my barns, and I'm going to build me bigger barns. And I'm going to say to my soul, soul, take thine ease. Live, drink, and be merry, for you've got stuff laid up for many years. You don't have anything to worry about. But one thing he had not took into consideration, he had not one thought about God. And God said, you fool, this night you're going to die. Then who's all that stuff you'd worried about? Whose is it going to be Then? Master U. Henry made a reference, <clears throat> it's a comment on verses 25 through 31. Let me give you these four things. He's saying our Lord is telling us that such worry about the things of the world, and then they're just things, they're just things, is needless. God will supply all that we need. From his bounty, do we trust him? That's the thing. Do you really believe the Lord will feed you? Do you believe he will take care of you? Well, he said, no, just consider the little birds. The millions of little birds, they don't build them. They don't plant a garden. They don't have barns to put their feed in. He said, I take care of them. I'm going to take care of you. It's amazing how simple he speaks to us. I'm going to take care of you. You're more valued than they are. Do you not believe me? Do you not believe that I care about you? Well, cast your cares upon me. I do care about you. I do care. He who provides a body will not deny it food and raiment. Second, he, he shows us that such worry is senseless. As I've already mentioned, if God provides for the fowls of the air, will he suffer one of his children to starve? I know mothers. Because in one place he said, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your father give good gifts to them that ask him? I know a lady, if I called her name, you'd know her, but they said she had several children. And it'd be time. She always put their food on the table first, the kids' food. And if there's anything left, then she would eat. But she always made fur, made sure that they ate first. You remember this. The Lord will make sure, not only physically, but spiritually. He will feed you, he will guide you, and he will protect you. You don't have to worry about it. Because we all at times do. How are, we, how, are we going, how are we going to make it? The birds of the air ought to teach us that no man doing his duty in this place in which God has placed him shall ever be allowed to come to poverty. Paul said, "I've learned in whatever state I am that we have to be content. How did our Lord survive? Now, I know he worked in the carpenter's shop till he started his ministry. But he didn't have a job. Now, his job was to preach the gospel, but he said the birds of the air have a nest. The, the birds of the air have a nest, and a fox has a hole, a place to live in. But he said the Son of Man don't even have a place to lay his head. Well, how did he live? The Father took care of him. This is how Satan tempted him when he came to him, and he had fasted for forty days and forty nights, had not had anything to eat. He said, "Why don't you turn them? Why don't you turn them stones into bread?" He said, "Thou shalt not live. Thou shalt believe by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God." He could have turned them stones into bread, but he didn't. The Father provided for him, and He provides for us. Also, this unbelief, it proves, this anxious thought, it proves to be useless. It's useless for us to worry or to be anxious about our future state, whatever state that may be. God has appointed our time upon this earth, and we will not die until our work is done. That's your statute. Whatever the statute in life is, that's according to God's will and purpose. It's useless. But the world's who gave to these things. The world wants statute. They won't. They won't like the Pharisees. They want to be seen of men. They want the prowls of men. They think that they're heard for their much speaking and all these things. And then he says, it is faithless. Since God clothes the herbs of the field... Will he suffer his dear people to lack suitable covering? He created your body. He provides you with clothes to cover it. And he provided you a body, and he provides spiritual clothing. You know what that is? That's his righteousness. You can't produce it. You worrying about it and striving to make one is not going to make one. That's useless, and that's faithless. Faith is I believe him. I believe him. What is my standing before God? What is my state of being before God? What is it? I believe him by faith. I can't see it. All I see is the sin. But I should be concerned about seeking his righteousness. I should give thought toward these things about eternal things. Some don't give any thought. They need to give some thought. I hope you read the article There that Moose wrote about his son that just passed away. Entitled it, Prepared to Die. Excellent. And then he asked the question there at the end, Are you prepared to die? That's the thing. That's the thing. Most of the time we put it off. We we will think about this later. If our Lord takes thought... For perishable flowers will he not neglect, he won't neglect our bodies. And which dwells, you know, what in, you know what dwells within your body? A living soul. That soul is precious. That soul, that soul will live forever. Shoes and clothes protect our bodies and cover our physical nakedness. I need something to cover my spiritual nakedness. Seek ye first the kingdom of God in what? His righteousness. His righteousness is perfect. It's without flaw. But then he tells us after all these things do the Gentiles seek? What are they see? what's the world seeking after? They working they're seeking for fame? Fortune? Some way to make you live longer? You may live just a little longer. You may live past three score and ten years, which is just 70 years. But then what kind of last few years are they? You heard me say, that. I heard Don say, he said, is that the years you're in a nursing home and you don't even remember your name or your kids' names and they have, somebody has to wipe the drool off your face? You know, is, is that what you're seeking? You're seeking happiness in this world? You're not going to find it. You're seeking satisfaction in this world. You're not going to find it. Well, if I have something that impresses somebody else, and then, I, then I've got what, that's my reward. He said, you've got your reward. We're seeking him, in him alone. Your heavenly father. Now, you just think about that statement. Your heavenly father. That's why we made reference to all through this sermon. He knows that you have need of all these things. Do you think a father, if he was able, and our Lord is able, if he knew you needed something, that he would not hesitate to provide for what you needed right when you needed it? He told them, he told the disciples when he was sending them out, he said, don't take a lot of money with you. He said, I'm going to take care of you how's he going to take care of them? Well, when they would go into a town, he would give them favor with somebody, and they'd say, why don't you come in here, and we'll fix you something to eat. Remember Elisha? Remember he went to that woman's house, and she knew he was a prophet, and she told her husband, she said, why don't we build a little room onto the house? And when he comes by, he can have a place. They put a little table in there and a little lamp. And when he comes by, he can go in there and study, and he he maybe can lay down and and take a rest. And that's what she did. But see, those are just empty pictures of how God provides for his children. Where did the children of Israel get gold to build the tabernacle and all those things? Where did they get those things? The children of Israel, when they're coming out of Egypt, the Egyptians are pulling off their gold, their and they're giving them to them, giving it to them. You know why? Because God commanded the Egyptians to do so. How are we going to survive? God to take care. You know God raises up nations and puts down whole nations to take care of you. We live in a nation that's just like grain and corn and, all, and energy, the, th- the things, the riches that we have in this world. Why do, we ha- why do we have those things? For the elect's sake. He blessed Joseph, or Potiphar, for Joseph's sake. One of his children, he will make sure, As I used last week, he may use the fowls of the air to come feed Elijah. He may provide a widow woman to feed Elijah, but he will take care of his children one way or the other. They will be provided for, and he will take care of you. God help us to believe that. I mean, really believe it. Trust him. You know, there's one thing that brings more dishonor to God than anything else, and it's just don't believe in him. Just distrust. And and it's not... Well, it's just unbelief. No, it's willful unbelief. We choose not to believe God. And it's amazing our Lord said, Take no thought. Take no anxious thought for these things. I know you have need of these things. I know what you need. If I was asked you what you needed this morning, you'd probably come up with a lot of different answers. But He knows exactly what you need right now. And I'm glad He does. It blesses my heart, not that I'm anything, I know that, but that God would speak through a vessel of clay and some of y'all would tell me that's exactly what I needed. He knows what you need, Paul. He knows what you need, Danny. And he takes the same message and gives you what you need. You know what he did? He fed your soul. He reminded you of his righteousness. And when you think about his righteousness, being clothed in his righteousness, you don't care about anything else. You don't have any anxious thought about anything else because nothing else doesn't matter. At that moment in time, nothing else just doesn't matter. That's good English. Because it doesn't matter. This is what matters. One of the Gentiles seek after those things. They think those things are what matters. What does it matter? What does it matter of who who remembers you? What does all that matter? Whatever you see, it's going to decay. It's going to rust or the thieves will break through and steal it. It's going to all, it's all marked for the burning. It's not going to last. But our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Don't be like the world. And it's hard, let's just be honest, it's hard to live in the world and not take up the thoughts of the world and the mentality of the world and the ambitions of the world because we live in the world. Don't be conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. Give you an example. The children of Israel saw the ark taken in by the Philistines, the enemies of God. And God commanded how that, that ark was to be carried. It was to be carried before men, for a priest. And the Philistines put it on a cart. Nothing happened. But Israel knew better. See, why did, why would David put it on a cart? That's how the Gentiles did it. That's not how the Lord said, do it. And even when it comes to the things of the worship of God, we know what the Gentiles seek after. They seek all the applause of men. The first thing they ask you, if they find out you go to church somewhere, how many go to your church? To them, the most important thing is the numbers. It's not numbers, it's about him. It's just about him. I mean, we want people to believe. Yes, we do. But the main thing is to glorify him. Because the Gentiles, the Gentiles, they have no revelation from God. They're in darkness. They are in complete spiritual darkness. And because they have erroneous ideas about God and the character of God, That's why they do the things they do. What do they think? What's their ideas? What's their opinions about God? Many of them that believe are all things are fixed by blind fate. While others went to the opposite extreme, supposing that nothing was predestinated and that everything was left to chance. They say, well, what will be, will be, and what won't be, won't be, and and then that's just how they live. And they, they think their God is some angry God. Let me remind you of this. It's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They're all the same God. They're all equal. times we think of a, of a wrathful judgment of God. That's just one side of God. God delights to show mercy. He'd rather he takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. But see, the men don't have that mentality about God. They think that God's standing there with a big stick just ready to beat you. The goodness of God leads a man to repentance. You know, I could take these very verses and show you, you know, the Gentiles seek after these things, so don't seek after these things. And I beat you over the head about don't be, don't act like the world, and don't act like the world, and don't think like the world. And you go, okay, I'm gonna, be, I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna do that. It's not changed you one bit. What changes a man? Grace changes a man. You see, the world—that's that's, that's a, their way of thinking. I'll beat you into submission. If you don't do this, God's gonna get you. Is that some way to live? Is that some way for a child of God to live? Live under the thing, well, boy, if the next time I mess up, I'm really going to get it this time. As I was studying for the day's second message, all the disciples forsook him and fled, every one of them. And when he first appears to him, he didn't say, shame on you. He said, peace be unto you. And while that's his children, does he love them? Oh, sure he does. Who took the whipping? He did. Who took your whipping? He did. You see what I'm saying? The concept which the Gentiles have Of their gods were such that they couldn't trust them. That's the type of God the Gentiles trust. It's a God that can't be trusted. If I cannot trust God with my soul, I'm in bad shape. If I cannot trust God to save my soul, well, who am I going to trust? And that's why they live in condemnation and fear and worry and anxiety because they have wrong conceptions about God. So far from their gods showing compassion, they are looked upon as objects of dread whose favor could only be purchased by some costly offering. Why do you think all religions bring offerings? They're trying to purchase favor with their God. When we went to Mexico, when you've seen all those Mayan ruins and all those places where they would offer human sacrifices, why? They are trying to appease what they think is an angry God. And they think no greater sacrifice than to you bring your own child. How? Why would men be so deceived? It's they're deceived about God. They have wrong thoughts about God. They live in fear. Your child gets sick. Well, we well something's wrong. We must have sinned. Let me tell you this: God's people get sick. God's people suffer trials like all the other world does. But we don't suffer like the world does. We we don't suffer as those who have no hope. We do have a hope. It may be we suffer because God loves you. I've seen someone said this years ago. Someone was going through a great trial, great struggle. And they said, God must really love you. See how we got it reversed. Okay, look at Jacob and Esau. Just look at their natural lives. Which one did God live? Which one did it look like God loved? Well, it looked like he loved Esau. Boy, Esau prospered. That's the way the world thinks, well, if you're prospering, you must be really blessed. We find out at the first of this sermon, blessed are the who, poor in spirit. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And what about Jacob? Mm. His descendants lived in Egypt for 400 years. And we know in Romans 9, God said, Jacob have I loved. And he saw, have I hated. You know what he does with the world? He just leaves them alone. You go on believing what you want to believe. You go on believing just scared to death, worrying about everything. And my people, you know what? They're going to trust me. God revealed himself to Jacob with the ladder that reached from heaven unto earth. And he said, I'll be with you, Jacob. And he said, I'll bring you back. And you know what? He did. What did you think while he was working for Laban for 20 years? During those 20 years' time, what brought him joy and peace? One day I'm going home. One day I won't have to work for this man Laban. He's a bigger trickster than I am. And the Lord was teaching Jacob. He was showing Jacob. God displays his love. I mean, you know, when things bad happen, people, the word, the religion, the Gentiles of the world say, uh, why does bad things happen to good people? Well, why does good things happen to bad people? Won't they ask that question? I mean, they ask that question. They say, well, why? I know why. It's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. We have the word of God. We know by the scriptures what God is like. He is holy. He's righteous. He's just. But thank God and goodness he's loving. He's my heavenly father. He is my heavenly father. He adopted me, chose me, elected me, ordained me, paid my sin debt. What more, does, what more can I say than to you I have said? Why would he love you? And if he does, what do you have to worry about? Nothing. If he sends it my way, I need it. I may not understand it in this life, but I need it. Their thoughts, the Gentiles, the future life, beyond this veil of tears, they have the most gloomiest notions. Well, they might wind up in purgatory, somewhere between heaven and earth, and depend on somebody else, one of their brethren, to pray for them or by their way into heaven. Then they try to stir it up. They say, Well, I don't have a think so or hope so. I got a know so salvation. Let's be honest. Most of the time, most of the time, I don't know whether I'm a believer or not. I'm just being honest. I'm not making light of it. That's just a fact. Like the song of Newton. Tis a point I long to know. Often it brings me anxious thought. Am I his or am I not? You tell me, why, why is not this whole lifeless frame? Why is prayer so cold? Why? Why? You tell me. Tell me. Is it so with you? Or is it just me? their ambitions of the world, they rise no higher than what they can eat and drink, and, and they make material things their chief concern. In Luke 12:30, for all these things do the nations of the world seek after. And your heavenly, your Father knoweth that you have need of these things. David said, I've been young, and now I'm, I'm old, and I've never seen the righteous forsaken or ever seen them begging bread. God's children are not beggars. I know we are beggars. We're sin beggars. I understand that. But our Father provides for us. The heathen tendency of all men is to lead us to an overestimate, too much value upon material goods. Some grow in the tropics of sunny prosperity and others in the Arctic worrying about staying warm. The one is the sin of the worldly-minded rich man. The other is the sin of the worldly-minded poor man. You cannot serve God and mammon. How do we serve him? We serve him acceptably with righteousness and godly fear. That means we respect him. We reverence him. This you cannot serve God in mammon, as I mentioned last week, it stands in the center of this chapter. Between our Lord warning us against laying up treasures upon earth, earth and his warning us about being too full of cares for the things of the earth. You cannot serve God in mammon. It's an impossibility. Choose, let us choose this day whom we will serve. Now think about serving. One of them is your master. You're going to serve somebody. You do serve somebody. You serve the old wicked self. By nature, that's who we serve. We serve sin. Sin is a sovereign. You cannot resist sin. Satan takes us captive at his will. We are servants, servant to the world, servant to the ideas of the world, or we're his servants, willing, loving bond slaves. Paul said, "I am." He didn't ever say, "I was the servant of Rome." I'm the servant of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Pagans. Believe not, in divine providence. they wholly reply upon, rely upon means trusting wholly in their own efforts. then they make themselves their own gods. A worldling is one whose anxieties and joys are both confined within the narrow sphere, sphere of the material and visible. And when you take all that from them. He has nothing left. Take that from him. Can you imagine living in the roaring 20s? They've just come through World War I, around 1918, somewhere along in there, before the roaring 20s, you know, when they dance and all this. Well, what happened in the early 30s? It was something called the Great, Great Depression. Didn't matter if you had money, there is none. They was runs on the bank. That's before they had FDIC. And you imagine there's nothing there. Now now they're soup lines. Now they give you little stamps. Each family got a certain amount of stamps. If you wanted to buy a pair of shoes, if you didn't have a stamp, you didn't get a pair of shoes. He said, Man, it must have been hard times. Yeah, they had to go through that. You know what? You imagine after the Rowan twenties, oh we did we got it, we got you know, then all everything was changing, the industrial world was changing, America was changing, ideas were changing. The Lord said, Hold on just a minute. <laughs> Hold on just a minute. It's nothing. Paul said one day, I, "That's what I strove for." And he said, "Now I say it's nothing but dung." We're not to conduct ourselves like the devil's beggars. All distrust and anxiety about what we need comes from the false notions that God either does not know, or won't does not know what we want, and He does not care for us. He does know what you need and want and he does care he does care he do, he does care for you he don't want you to worry he cares for you it's a blessing to know that someone does care it's sad when you feel like nobody cares well, if maybe if I was like this, somebody would care about me. I want everybody to care about me. I want everybody to like me. I won't, I won't, I won't, I won't. I want. He cares. The cure for anxiety is to make the things of God our chief concern. Not what, but who is the most important thing in your life. Where your treasure is. Where's your treasure at this morning? That's where your heart's going to be. I love that story. It talks about a man who was, he was seeking goodly treasure. And he found in this field the treasure. And you know what he did? He said, I went home and sold my house, sold my land, sold my cattle. I sold everything I got because it's going to take me everything i got to buy that piece of land. And why is he going to buy the land? Because there's a treasure in it. Treasure hid in a field. It's hid. Man, most men never see it. But if you've ever seen Christ, that's the treasure. Why would you drive all that distance to come to church? They don't know about your treasure. It's like they asked the, the Shulamite, what makes your beloved so special? He's altogether lovely. No man can serve God and mammon. you've heard me tell this story about the little child. that was in a restaurant one day, and years ago they used to have these little short ears of corn, and they they would just take them as an on a rotisserie, and they would just roll in butter, and you know, just just dripping with butter. And the little child he'd done he'd done eat he all the corn off of it, and he was still sucking on the cob. And they're getting ready to go. They're wanting to leave and go home, and the little boy won't. Get rid of the corn cob and they want him to turn it loose, he put his coat on. The man that owns the restaurant, he said, Just wait a minute, I got this handled. He walks up to the restaurant, up to the register, and brings back a Snickers bar and he holds it out to that little boy. And you know what that little boy did? He throwed that corn cob down. When you see Christ, you'll turn loose of the old corn cobs of this world. I used to ride a horse some. A lot of horses, especially when they get a little age on them, they get tired when when you're riding them, and, they, and their head drops down. They won't even hardly walk. You got to kick them to even speed up a little bit. You know how to get that horse to speed up? It's so simple. Turn his head toward the barn. Man, that head to pick up more. She just uh... when the Lord turns your head toward home, you will pick it <laughs> up. It's just that simple. He wants to get, he wants to be back home and where your treasure is. As you'll drop these things, the things of worth will grow strangely dim. And all these things shall be added unto you. Let me read you this. It shall be added over and above our heavenly inheritance. The phrase is taken from a custom which obtained between buyers and sellers. When things were sold by measure, the seller adding an extra quantity or overplus so that so to ensure good weight and please his customer. Even so, the Lord promises to those who truly seek His kingdom and righteousness that He will, as it were, though in for nothing, add for good measure all the material things needful to this life. How many y'all like to buy fresh corn? If you go to Whitton's and buy corn, you know what they do? They give you a baker's dozen. You go, what's a baker's dozen? They give you 13 ears. <laughs> they added to it. You didn't pay for it. <laughs> you mean I got an extra ear for nothing? All these things shall be added unto you. That won't mean, That means he. That, that doesn't mean he, you know, he's always going to live his paupers. Look at Abraham. Look at David. Look at Solomon. What are true riches? What if he adds just more faith and joy and peace? Oh, when he adds those things, he just adds them. He he just keeps adding. Take therefore no thought for tomorrow, for tomorrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Let me just read you these four statements. Being concerned about tomorrow. We don't have the promise of tomorrow. We can't boast tomorrow. We, don't, we may not be here tomorrow. You may be wasting your last hours on earth in fretting over a tomorrow you may never see. And secondly, if we are preserved unto tomorrow, it will bring with it tomorrow's God, and he hath promised that no temptation is taking you, but such as common to man, but God is faithful. He will not suffer you to be tempted above that with which you are able. But here's the, the remedy. But with, with the temptation also will make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. What's the way of escape? It's Christ. But you'll be able to bear it. And some things are hard to bear. Thirdly, what good can come? What good can your worrying do? It doesn't empty tomorrow of its trials, but it empties today of its strength and comfort. It does not enable you to escape future trouble. But it doesn't fit you to cope when it does come. The trouble may come. Well, how are you going to cope with it? We have to cope with it. We, we don't we just say, well, I, just don't want, I don't want to think about it. No, I'm forced to think about it. What are we going to do when it comes? Oh, it will be like Job the Lord gave and the Lord had taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Because you know, there's things every one of us, every single one of us, are going to have to deal with. But you know what? Let's just deal with the things for today. If he sees fit for us to see tomorrow, we'll deal with those things. And instead of anticipating future evil, discharge our present duty, cross not your bridges before you come to them but cheerfully shoulder the burden of today and trustfully leave the future to him. Lord, enable us to learn from these precious truths. That's what I want for us, not just you, for us. Let us seek by God's grace to remember these things and use them in our daily life. And just be honest with the Lord. Say, Lord, I'm, just, I'm worried. I'm tore up about this. I, I, I want to honor you. I want to believe you. And I just feel so weak, so discouraged, so cast down. And let us, by God's grace, watch and pray over anxious care. But why, why am I, Jimmy, why am I worried about this? Why am I so tore up about this? I thought this was a good statement. Many of our miseries are caused by worrying about things to come upon us that never do come upon us. Where is our faith? Where is our confidence in our Savior's words? He said, don't, don't be like the Gentiles. Your father knoweth that you have need of these things. Don't worry about tomorrow.